This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in Standard Orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, the Trek FM podcast dedicated to cover the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I'm Nick Anastasiu. And I am Ken Tripp, and happy to be sailing along with you all today. Our good friend Zach is doing well and is due back in a week or two. And in the meantime, I've been fortunate to have Nick with me again this week. So how are you doing, sir? Oh, good. I am the fortunate one. Uh, I wish that I didn't have to step in because of uh, Zach having to deal with the hurricane. But I'm very, very lucky and happy to be on board and to fill his shoes while, uh, while he's away, take a seat, um, and uh, to sail along with you. I appreciate it. And um, glad to have you. Like I said, he'll, he'll be back. In the meantime, we're going to make the best of it and have fun. And uh, we had a great time last week talking about Beyond. I had a, I had a blast with, with you and Amy, and I thought the show really went off well, and the feedback's been, been very positive, which is nice when you're doing something like that. So we're going to flip things now. We've been, I've been talking about with, with Nick and then Solo and then with um, Kay Shaw you know, different aspects of, of how the movies played and how, how certain things worked. And we're going to completely change that. We're going to have some fun. Um, I love ships. I love everything about them. And there were a couple of quotes that I found recently, one historical, one allegorical, that talk about kind of that, that love of ship or the loves of the sea. And you'll see where this is going in a minute. So the first one uh, I found came from George Washington. And he said, or he wrote, it follows then as certain as the night succeeds the day that without a decisive naval force, we can do nothing definitive and with it, everything honorable and glorious. So it's kind of a nice patriotic feel to it. The second one was by, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to, sorry. I was going to say, I could see that on the, on the, on the dedication plaque of a starship, just to bring it back to Star Trek for a second. It's yeah, very you, yeah. Yeah, you could. Yeah. Yeah. You could almost see this guy like starting a nation or something. <laughs> something along those lines. Huh? Mm-hmm. The second one was uh, from a woman named Susan Wiggs. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure who she is, if she's an author or whatnot. But this was uh, very eloquent, and it, and it, really, it really captured um, the essence, I thought, of, of going out to sea. And she wrote, she watched the gap between ship and shore grow to a huge gulf. Perhaps this was a little like dying. The departed no longer visible to the others, yet both still existed, only in different worlds. So I thought that was that was really special and unique. What were your thoughts on that one, Nick? Um, yeah, it's it's pretty beautiful. Um, and uh, it, it made me think of, uh, when I first heard it, it made me think of uh, standing on a dock and, and watching, um, watching a ship. Uh, leave whether it's a military ship or or not you know just also these images of uh uh which i completely imagined um of what it must have been uh several hundred years ago when ships would leave uh for years for three four years Mm. um trips around the world to for trade um and we're on uh, i mean this because this is really what makes me think of star trek you know the idea that that you didn't even know if they would come back because they, they didn't even know sometimes where they were going. Um, sure. They were going out there to, to explore or, or to map new trade routes or, or 
to confirm routes that others said were there, but nobody was sure at the time. Um, so yeah, the, the, the idea of um, what it must have been like, it's, it, it feels like it captures that, that the, the emotion um, of watching a ship uh, sail away little by little. And, and everything you think about you know, as as these there's, there's these moments there's these moments in life which you know about but then when you experience them uh, um the the, uh, the feelings and thoughts and and, and emotions are, are very particular and and it, it takes a, a really strong talent to kind of to try to evoke that to someone who who was not in one of those moments so that that's what it made me feel yeah yeah it was it was unique it really caught me and uh glad it captured that thank you susan I hope I'm going to find out more about Susan Weeks. Anyway, uh, the other day I was, I was traveling home. I was on another business trip and I was, I was walking through a, an airport in Columbus, Ohio. Now I know a lot of you people are jealous that you don't get to see exotic, wonderful places in the world like I do, but Columbus, Ohio, man, pretty cool. All right. It was okay. Anyway, I was thinking about, um, for whatever reason, you know, when you, when you walk through airports, whatever your mind wanders and, I was thinking about when I was a kid and I, was, I used to watch Jacques Cousteau uh, and, and I loved watching him and I loved, I loved everything about the ocean and, and watching him and the crew explore the oceans and the sea life and his ship, the Calypso, I actually saw personally, up, up close and personal, it wasn't very small too, it was amazing because in the TV show it seemed so big, when you see it in person it was really very small and it's hard to believe he sailed the entire world in that vessel. But I saw him in Boston Harbor during the bicentennial celebrations, and it hit me with all the talk about Starfleet being quote unquote explorers, and they are. Why didn't they ever name a ship the Calypso? And hence this subject. And this subject is what would you name a starship, right? That hasn't been named for. But more interesting that when I was thinking about this and I sent this up, this idea to Nick, and I told him what was behind it, he had a response that absolutely blew me away. So I'll let Nick, tell you what he told me after I told him about the Calypso. Well, I mean, you, you blew my mind away because um, I, you know, I, I immediately jumped on my, my texting machine and basically was, you know, told you, um, yeah, I, when I was a kid, when I was little, between the ages of four and, and seven, I was a huge, huge Cousteau fan. My dad and I, my whole family, my mom too, we watch his show religiously every week. My dad had, still has, um, the, the entire collection of books, uh, the, the Cousteau Encyclopedia, where he published his, his, research, his research and studies uh, volume by volume. Uh, they're hardbound, leatherbound. Um, and, uh, and I wanted to be a professional uh, scuba diver on the Calypso working for Jacques Cousteau. That, that was my, my dream when I was five years old. You know, like some kids will say, I, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a police officer. I wanted to be a diver for Cousteau. Um, so so that, that's what I responded to you right away. And I said, so what, what do you think that answers your question? And, but the thing that I didn't tell you at the time, which, which in a way is, is to me is what blew my mind even more, is that um, I, I did mention in my text that, that in fact, I love Cousteau so much. Um, that I, um, I like to write on the side, I do little projects here, there, short stories or whatnot. And I've been working on this story for quite a while with a friend of mine that involves a spaceship that I named the Cousteau. Um, and when, when you sent me that message, I just gotten off the phone with my writing partner, talking to him um, about story points for, for, for this story specifically related to the ship. And so we, we kept talking about the Cousteau this and the Cousteau that and the Cousteau this. And then I hang up and I turn around and you have, you know, there's a message from Ken asking me if I want to talk about starship names. And you mentioned, you mentioned Cousteau and the Calypso. So, uh, you know, it was, it was meant to be definitely. Yeah, it is. It is funny when those things happen and it, it's nice too, because, you know, Nick and I have never met in person and yet, you know, <laughs> a couple of times now we've talked about things or whatever, and uh, it just, it's just kind of neat that from, what are we, 3,000 miles apart or whatever, you can, you can get this connectivity or you can be thinking about something. And then who knew the kind of impact that Cousteau had on your life and your childhood and whatnot, and, and there it all is, because he had a big, definitely a big one on mine. My, my fascination with the sea started at a very young age, and a lot of it was because of him. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, synchronicity. Yeah. So now, it, you know, we're, we're, it, it gave way to this subject, and I thought it'd be a fun one, and, and 
I think we're we're gonna we're gonna give this a, a shot of coming up with starship names that haven't been done yet. And you know, the only ground rule we really had is in, we we try to play with things that have only been on screen, whether it's TV or movies or whatnot, for a couple of reasons. One, I know there's been a zillion different starship names out there through books, through video games, and since I've never played a video game, a Star Trek video game, I don't mean to say I've never played a video game. I played a Star Wars video game for 20 seconds with my kids. I got blown up five times, dropped the thing, never did it again. <laughs> you're, 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 lucky that, you're lucky that Zach isn't on the air right now because you know he'd be giving you crap about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He killed me. Anyway, so it's, just, it's, just, it's just funny. But, yeah, so I, I never got into it, and, uh, you know, um, and that's fine. So, so for us, you know, it's like, okay, we can come up with names. We can, we can go from what I knew of the shows. And we did do a little research, and both of us looked up to make sure whatever names we chose weren't already on screen or, or mentioned before. So hopefully this will work. But if we look at the way starships were named, like a quick history, TOS, World War II was in the recent rearview mirror, and there were ships that were big stories and a big part of recent history, the Enterprise being the biggest one, especially aircraft carriers. And most of the TOS ships, but not all, but many, were named after those ships, some of them from British history as well, um, Revolutionary War battles. So it wasn't about the battles, it was about the, the ships themselves and the, 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 the accomplishments they had during their, their lifetime, mostly during World War II. And then TNG opened the door to more, I would say, more global names and events, you know, from the Amato to the Tiananmen. Uh, it, was, it was a lot less just U.S.-based. There was still a lot of that, but they, they tend to move away from it, which I think was great. Uh, and then, you know, even by the end of TNG, they were, they were using, I think the Gorkon was mentioned. So they actually went to, you know, an alien leader that they mm -hmm. named Starfleet because of what he's done, just like the U.S. did that for, for Winston Churchill. So, you know, it's kind of neat that way. So that, that's, that's kind of how we, we, we came across this. And, and so, Nick, you know, I'm going to, since, since already I kind of went first already and everybody knows my, my choice would have been the, the Calypso after, after that vessel, um, why don't you start us off with the name of the first ship? Other than the Cousteau, what would you name and why? Sure. So um, I decided my approach uh, was to kind of try to channel both uh, a shipbuilder uh, literal and figurative, uh, someone who would actually design a ship um, and um, someone who would design a ship either as an artist or as a writer producer on Star Trek. I think that traditionally, historically, I mean, humans tend to anthropomorphize and, and project themselves and put a lot of personal connections, human connections into inanimate objects, but definitely ships, I think, I think everyone would agree are among the, the, the top of the list, if not at the top of the list um, of, of um, objects. And see, I almost have trouble s s calling them objects, but we really personify them. We, we, we put so much soul and of ourselves. And I think it starts with, with the designer, with the builder, wh whatever, again, whether it's a literal or figurative builder. So I try to, to, to tell myself, okay, well, if, if you were, if you were to, to, to build a ship uh, for a story or, or in real life, you would want to have this connection because that you have to invest yourself in creating this thing um, and, and want to be on it, you know, uh, for fiction or for, 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 for real life. Um, so I try to think of, of, of things that would be connected to my life, um, but which at the same time also would have, would fit into canon, would, would in, my, in my mind, function as, as, as what you could legitimately see a Starfleet vessel be named. Um, so my first choice is um, the USS Lumiere. Um, I, I chose that name because it's the French word for light. Um, and so there's a, a personal connection to my heritage being, being French. Um, there's also the fact that light, you know, is, is a symbol obviously of hope and Starfleet um, presents itself as a beacon of hope, as a, a ray of light. Um, and there's also the connection to cinema, William Yale being, being uh, one of the inventors of the process that led to cinema. And, and this is my passion. This is my, my career. Mm -hmm. um, so I felt like, it, you know, and, and Star Trek being the product of, of, a, of a, uh, entertainment, modern entertainment, um, very, being very cinematic, I thought that would be a, a cool, cool nod to that as well. That's a great name. I think that that's, that's wonderful, beautiful. Um, 
you know, it, it, it makes sense. One thing I just wanted to, to, to go back on that you said, did you say anamorphize? Anamor yeah. Anthropomorphize. Anthropomorphize. Yeah, okay. Anthropomorphize. Anthropomorphize. Okay. I just wanted to remind you, this, this is not Metatrex, okay? <laughs> and by the way, by the way, Ken, anthropomorphizing is a canonical word. <laughs> anthropomorphize. I love it. I love it. I, I just I, you said it, and and I didn't mean to take you off your off your game here a little bit, but that was that was a wonderful word. And you know, I always tease uh, in in with good fun, you know, Mike and Zach over at, at Metatrex because especially Zach when he gets on a roll, sometimes I literally and I have done this. I have stopped, gone back, listened to it, wrote it down, and and some of the words. <laughs> And and I think I'm fairly well educated and 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 have my 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 arms around a lot of things. But man, every once in a while they get me. But that's a great word of the day, so we're going to use that. Let's circle back a little bit more seriously <laughs> on, on on Lumiere because I think that um, that's that's a great name for exactly the right reasons, like you said. When you're talking about hope, and you're talking about light, when you're talking about positive, when you're talking about good. When you're when you're when you're trying to pe de deliver something or bring people, something, you always follow the light, right? You, you 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 follow your dreams by following the light. I, I thought Lumiere is is a wonderful name for a ship and very very creative. I think on your on your part and, um, and very well done. That's that's a great name. That really is. Thank you, thank you. And I, I, I'm also imagine that's that's way corny. Uh, Amy will make fun of me for that, but uh, I, you know, I just had this 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 idea. This that's a total kind of, you know, again vi visual thing as as an editor of of uh, if there was a ship that was going to be intro in one of those reveal sequences that Star Trek is famous for, of uh, one of those cutaways where you, you cut to the saucer section in the dark and then the lights come on and shine on the name on the hull. And, and of course people go, oh, of course, the Lumiere, because it's light, light on the light. That's right, yeah, they could play with that a little bit, but man, what a, what a, what a great name, great concept. And, and I think that um, it, it, just, it just works on all levels. It really does. So very well done, sir, I like that. All right. So for me, I, I took kind of, you know, I'm a big history guy and I, I was thinking back to what would be a, a really good name for a starship that really kind of centered amongst the the whole NASA program or early space exploration? You know, there's been a lot of ships in, in Star Trek that have been named after shuttles. Uh, there's been, you know, we said the, uh, the Gregarin for, for Yuri Gregarin, right? The astronaut from Russia, the Grissom. Um, mm -hmm. So they've done it in bits and bobs pieces here. I just thought like the actual location where, where a lot of the space launches happen would be kind of a cool name. And that's why I came up with the, uh, the USS Canaveral. That's because of so many ships, so many rockets, so many things that have happened there in our history. I think that um, it, it would be appropriate. And it's, it's kind of common to name ships after locations, especially cities, which this is, I guess. It's in Cocoa Beach, right? But it's a, it's a natural spot, Cape Canaveral. And uh, I just thought it would be a, a appropriate and a good throwback to uh, to the NASA space program, which actually did do some consulting in some of these movies. Well, and it's a it's a that's a great it's a great name also because, like you said, um, you know, remember I was I was mentioning earlier how the inception, the conception of of a, of a ship, um, the birthplace, um, and how we we connect these moments right where where the idea comes where you first draw the plans where you put it together the shipyard and i mean cape canaveral it doesn't get much more iconic and symbolic of a place that birthed obviously you know the launches but it's also it, it, it it's 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 the launch it's the symbol of, of launching ideas of launching hope and and you know a place that for a long time at the apogee of the of the, the space program the whole world would turn its eyes to as a symbol, not of American power. And, and that's one of the cool things, you know, about some of the ideas that were uh, around back then, um, but just as a symbol of what humanity could achieve. Um, so that, that completely fits into, into the Star Trek mantra of things, I think. I think so too. I think so too. And if you, if you think about the moon landing in particular, yeah, yeah, they put the American flag there, but it was for all mankind. And I thought that was, 
kind of a neat thing. You know, it wasn't a, a nationalistic type thing. So there was a lot of pride in that, no doubt. Yeah. But yep. I thought that that was, that was pretty cool. Okay. Are you ready for your second one, sir? I am ready, sir. All right. Um, so for my second choice, I uh, chose to name my ship the USS Alexandria. And um, again, there's kind of a, of a mix of connections. Uh, I, on a personal level, it's both the name that inspired my son's name. My son's name is Alexander. Um, and that's related to my father. So it's also connected to my dad. My father was born and raised in Alexandria, Egypt. Um, and so, you know, it's a nod to him. Um, and um, through that, I think we get to uh, uh, a couple of Star Trek connections. I felt like as we expand more into what you were talking about, the more modern, more, re more not recent, but the, the evolution of Star Trek, when, when they started to branch off and wanted through the names of the ships to speak of a global outreach and, and have Starfleet be a symbol of, of uh, something universal. Um, I thought it would be cool to have a, a reference to a city uh, in Egypt, in the Middle East, um, and a city that had tremendous importance uh, at, at its height in the ancient times. It was the repository of the, the Library of Alexandria, which was the, the biggest um, the biggest repository of knowledge in the world. Scholars, mathematicians, would philosophers would travel to Alexandria to study uh, the scrolls and, and documents there until the fire that, that destroyed it. And so I, I just felt like through that, um, there's also kind of a strong Star Trek connection of, uh, of something that represents a global ideal, a universal ideal, and something that represents the pursuit of knowledge and also the the stewardship and conservancy of knowledge you know trying trying to protect knowledge and, and store it and, and grow it for future generations yeah i think that's pretty special too and you, you come up with some some great ideas and, and alexandria is, is still it's it's still a, a very relevant city it's a very big port city it was during the roman days and as you said even pre mm -hmm. pre-existing the empire it was a, a center of learning and, and culturally that, that makes it so special because, you know, Nick, when you have, when you come up with names like that, right. And it has varied meanings like it does for you and your, you think about your dad and your son, I think that's pretty special. But if you bring it into a Star Trek context, how many times did you watch a Star Trek episode and it doesn't TOS, TNG, doesn't matter, DS9. They, they come up with something or they say something that has something historical. There's something attached to it. Uh, and then it goes a little bit deeper than, than anything you would have realized. And you talk about Alexandria. That is something that you could definitely see in an episode where they're going to expound upon that name of that ship. For whatever reason, you just know they would because that's what Star Trek does. And uh, I think that's that that's pretty unique. I, you, you could definitely see that happening. I, I, can, I can totally, absolutely, I can totally imagine... Um, uh, especially in the voice of Captain Picard, I'm a I'm a big fan of of Picard, um, and uh, I can definitely imagine a scene in his in his ready room or in the conference room where he's sitting with Riker and and they're talking about the Alexandria and Riker either makes a mistake or or wonders why you know it's called the Alexandria and I can I can I can totally visualize Patrick Stewart you know kind of having that little smile because he's, he lo he loves to do his little his little history lessons and, and launching into, you know, number one, Alexandria used to be a, a very famous place of knowledge in ancient Egypt. Um, I can definitely picture that. Yep, definitely could. Data, <laughs> Spock, mm -hmm. any one of them uh, could be doing that. And I think that, uh, that that's, what's, that's what's great about the show is that you learn a lot from it. That's not, you're, you're two for two, my friend. Those are, those are great names. Okay. Thank you, sir. I'm going in another direction. I'm, I'm going to be a little bit of um, impish, a little bit of, of humor in here. Um, a year ago, uh, this is this show is going to broadcast in, in on Monday, which is uh, in October, right? Is it the? Um, it will be the second of October when this drops. And last year we did a a show based on a thread uh, in the Babel conference. I remember it was a Saturday morning. It was an innocuous day. I was goofing off on Facebook and I said, oh, let's, let's play. Cause I, 
back then I wasn't very active on, on Facebook as far as starting posts. I'm still not huge at starting them, but I wasn't. And I put a picture of, I think it was the Enterprise A up there, and I asked people what their favorite starship was. And this thread took off. It was on fire for like a week. And a lot of great back and forth, a lot of pictures were shared, a lot of reasons why. And then we actually, I actually counted them up. Um, what was the favorites? What was the favorite ship? I don't remember the results, but I have to go back in that thread because I posted them at the bottom as to what was the all-time favorite ship in Star Trek. And I was thinking of that thread and um, and and in that birth, the show called um, Red Shirt Starship. And the reason we came up with the term Red Shirt Starship is we started talking about the and I didn't know the name of this until we did the show. I, I have to admit the Oberth class. Where the heck did they come up with the name Oberth? But the Oberth <laughs> class starship, which was the science ship. You know, you saw the Grissom in Star Trek Three. You saw the Tchaikovsky in TNG. You saw the Phoenix, and the ship always had a death. It 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 just always wound up you know burning or basic as it became part of an asteroid. But at any rate. Um, so I was thinking, well, what would be a good name for an Oberth class red, you know, red shirt starship? And there's a good and bad. The, the, the good part is they, they were scientific research vessels, right? So, you know, they could easily be in harm's way just based on maybe the dangerous thing that they were looking at or, you know, whatnot. And, and I was thinking from a science point of view, Skylab, when I was growing up in the mid 70s and late 70s, Skylab was all the rage when I was a kid astronaut stories people going there we took lessons on it in school we had um, diagrams of how it was designed how the astronauts got one from one section of the the lab to another and that yeah. was all fascinating it was and, it was the uh, it, was, it was the ancestor to the uh, to the international space station basically that, that's right that's right yeah. much smaller but you know it had big solar panels and had all these mm -hmm. things it was very distinct mm -hmm. and then the other big story was um it's decaying orbit <laughs> And it's fiery crash to Earth. And there was a lot of news and speculation that people could get hurt, depending on where the debris of Skylab crashed. Now, there was some of it that did, did make landfall. Thankfully, nobody was hurt or whatever, but it had a very fiery death scene, to say the least. And that's why I came up with the name USS Skylab. I didn't come up with an associated NCC registry number. That could be fun, too. But in this case, no, I just... I just thought that would be very appropriate for an Oberth class starship. I still yeah, yeah. I, I could see a lot of captains passing on that uh, on that promotion. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's okay. I'll I'll uh, stick to XO for another couple of years. I'll wait. I'll wait for my turn. Yeah, I think anybody going to any one of those ships would go. What are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> or or maybe they maybe they don't tell them. Maybe they they just say you know wait it's a surprise. You, you'll see you'll, you'll see what class starship you get when when you get there yep 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 i don't know i wonder if there's if there was a, a prequel book about what was his um captain estabam right that was the only captain yeah. i can remember yeah uh, yeah from uh star trek three star trek three yeah. yeah if they if they asked him maybe uh if there's a prequel book on how he got that ship what he did wrong mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe it's one of those maybe it's one of those you get an Oberth class promotion because it's one of those like promotion out of the way we just we just really want to get rid of this guy. We can't fire him. We can't get rid of him. We can't demote him. I guess we'll give him the birth class. That'll probably take care of the problem in a couple of years. There, there you go. There you go. And it's an oddly, I guess it's an okay design ship. It's just an oddly designed ship. Um, yeah, I, I always thought it was. I always thought I always thought it looked cool. Um, I like the, the the look of it. It has. It almost reminds me of. Um, I mean, it only has obviously one secondary hull but it, it it has kind of the shape of the the uh, a catamaran you know uh, it's kind of very streamlined yeah. um, secondary hull but the thing that always and it's funny i i never thought about it until i was talking with a model maker here um at, at ilm who's also a designer and who pointed out to me and i kind of you know waved my fist for, for making me think of something that i never thought about before he said did you ever wonder how they get from the saucer to the secondary hull, because unless they tr they can't possibly be using those pylons, those things are way too thin. You can't. There's no. You know. You can't really go down. So mm. unless they transport back and forth between the hull and the saucer, or unless they take shuttles, or unless it's two separate crews that <laughs> that never meet or talk. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, question yeah. mark. 
Yeah, it, it is funny. You did say that. It was it was one of the things I go. There's 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 something a little askew about how this whole thing comes together. But <laughs> where's the neck? Where's the neck? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if the um, if the nacelles contain elevator shafts next to the matter antimatter being injected into the engine. Yeah, it the just engines are like... attached to the to the to the saucer too. It is it is unique, but. I like your sleek catamaran thought process there. That's pretty cool. Let's go on. So we've got the Lumiere, we've got the Alexander, we've got the Canaveral, we've got the Skylab. Of course, the first one I had was the Calypso. So that was my three. So you ready to bring us home with your final one? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> and for my final trick, I am going to pull a Jim Kirk and cheat a little bit. Um, I'm going to reprogram the test to make it possible to fit my conditions. You can't do that unless you're taking a bite out of an apple. That's that. Well, I can, I can, there, we have apple in the, in the fridge. I can okay, go get okay. one. As long, as long as you've got one, that's okay. Cause you got to have um, that. that I just, I just hate to lose. Um, <laughs> I see that. There's a, um, well, I, I was initially, I was going to name my last ship, name my last, uh, my third and last ship, the USS Jonathan Archer. I'm a big Enterprise fan, uh, and to me, it felt like it would make sense um, that in the context, in canonical Star Trek history, uh, <laughs> the uh, if, if for you listeners who can't see, Ken is rolling his eyes right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, I I felt like it would make sense that that he he plays such a huge role in founding the Federation uh, and being literally the first with a capital T Starfleet captain um, that that a ship if not the first big ship wouldn't be named after him but then I, 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 I figured that it's so it's such a cornerstone that it's I'm sure it's bound to have been done already in one of the books or a comic book or some ancillary material that I'm not aware of so but I wanted to kind of stick with with that Archer connection and and something that was that was close to close to the vest for me, and so I thought, well, what what is if if it's not Archer himself, Starfleet would have probably asked him also as an honorary tribute to name a ship or a series of ships, and so I try to kind of you know say, okay, if I was channeling Jonathan Archer and I'm in my later years and they asked me to name some ships, what would I do? What would I choose? And so I started to think about what was close to Jonathan Archer, to his heart. And one of the things that was closest to him that we saw over the years was his dog, Porthos. Now, I don't know, maybe there is an explanation somewhere about the reason why Archer chose to name his beagle Porthos. I always chose in my mind to think that it was related to um, the Musketeers in um, Alexander Dumas' book. It was one of my favorite books. As a kid, so of course, when Enterprise was on the air, I was looking for another connection to one of my favorite captains. And so I thought, well, clearly, clearly, Jonathan Archer is a fan of the Musketeers. Why else would you call your dog Porthos? So then I, I thought it would be great if, if Archer named four ships after the Musketeers. Um, there would be the USS Porthos, the USS Athos, the USS Armis, and the USS D'Artagnan. Um, and it felt appropriate if we if we imagine that he did have that personal connection to the material and appropriate because just like we were talking about the lumiere being kind of a um a symbol of uh of hope um and light um you can imagine the musketeers representing the spirit of adventure um of star trek and starfleet and uh getting out there and exploring I like it. I like it a lot. I think that's 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 pretty. I think it definitely fits a positive reinforced name of ships. I think it would be a neat class of ships to have, right? If you if you had a a Dumars class vessel and you mm -hmm. had the the so you know four ships in the class that would work out very well. Five really, um, then that would be that would that would be kind of a neat way to do it. And I think that that that's fairly common. You know, in the Navy many years ago, we used to have hydrofoils. And, um, you know, they're all named after uh, Greek mytho mythological uh, characters. And so it was, was kind of neat. So they all had that same thread. They were all, you know, 
four or five of these patrol ships that, that were up on those those skis and off they and off they would go but you would always you you knew by their name what kind of ship that was that you know if it was approaching or whatnot without even having to see it so i think that would that would definitely set a a pretty cool theme and like i said it, it keeps that um that positive thought process driving right so I like that. I think that, that that would be kind of a a cool thing to do, and you could even have a squadron um, with all the same, yeah. same ships, right? Well, and you know, you, you're speaking of classes. It would be kind of cool, actually, if you had, you know, a, a lot of times when you see, and obviously this is worth totally in your on, on your turf now, but when you see the the large ships of the navy, the the, the carriers, usually they have an escort group. They have they right. have they have. It's not just a ship. There there's there's a whole there's like a flotilla of ships, and um in in the con in the context of star trek i i imagine if you had like a musketeer class which would basically be escort ships because the musketeers were basically the the the, the personal guard of the king right um, so if you had not not attack fighters but just um escort ships that are there to ensure the protection of a larger one like a a, a medical if you have a if you have the, if you imagine a, a ship like the the Pasteur, you know that we see in Next Generation, mm -hmm. you would imagine that a ship like that, un unless unless it keeps the very very safe routes, we know we know that you know it's a it's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of space in Star Trek, and not all of it is friendly. So you would imagine that a medical ship, which is probably not armed with with a lot of of weapons, if any, right. would need some kind of uh, some kind of protection. So just another another fun. That's a that's a great way of looking at it too. I like that. Yeah, that's clever. Hey, you, man, you you filled it out. You you gave me a lot of starships, but I think they're they're very well categorized and kind of boxed in, and it 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 uh, it makes it right. So that's that's pretty good, man. I mean, I like it. We've you, got Lumiere, we've got Alexandria, we've got Canaveral, we've got Skylab, and then we've got uh, like I said, the Dumars class. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> D'Artagnan, Porthos, um, Aramis, and Aramis. Uh, and, and uh, uh, Athos. Athos, right? Yeah, so it's pretty good. Nice, nice. So I, I think it'd be fun before we we move on to closing thoughts or whatever. Um, what, in your opinion, is the worst named starship in Star Trek? Shall we say it at the same time on account of three? Because I think I think you and I, <laughs> I think you and I share share a bond on that one so yeah on three it's gonna be one two three the vengeance, vengeance. yes definitely yeah. the <laughs> yep. yep horrible absolutely it, it, horrible it makes no sense or or rather i should say it makes too much sense for what it is this is basically lazy writing you know and if you think about if, if you put it in in wait, wait for it canonical context um <laughs> it's you know, it would be like the laziest, stupidest, stupidest captain or engineer, whoever assigns that name, because uh, if I can't imagine that anyone in Starfleet would condone a ship, you know, to go out uh, named that and represent Starfleet. And even if you go within the circles of, of uh, Section 31 and look at who, which character epitomizes Section 31 most. I think it's Sloan from DS9, right? Yeah. Well, Sloan is all about is all about, I mean, he says it himself, you know, when, when Bashir asks him, how do you deal with threats? His answer is quietly, which right. means, you know, we don't like to, uh, to advertise that we are section 31 out there taking out the bad guys. So I'm not going to walk around with a, with a, a t-shirt that says I'm vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you imagine? I mean, even in a, um, in, in any kind of society, you like to have, you like to have strong names, um, meaningful names they don't have to always be projection of power right um enterprise mm -hmm. has a great name to it but it isn't like uh you know a name that that inspires fear it inspires respect or mm -hmm. even if you had something like victorious or something along those lines which are all ship names the hms victory I, there's, there's tons of names like that but they come up mm -hmm. with that i i hate it when it's it's you know it's the bad guy you already know it's bad it's already it's already the evil ship it's already the evil character whatever but from 
the perception usually of the person or the, or the people that are on that side, they don't see themselves as the evil. Right, right. Right? So they're not going to name their ship Vengeance. It just, you know, it'd be Protector or something along those yeah. lines that, that, that would allow them to justify why the damn thing was built in the first place. And the USS Villain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's, that, that's always been um, a funny thing with me, right? It's like light side and dark side. Wait, really? I mean, do the people on the dark side really think it's dark? <laughs> <You know> <laughs> and it's just, it's just, it's just kind of funny to me when, when they, when they go in that direction. But at any rate, um, so I think we're agreed on, on the vengeance. So with that, um, Nick, any, any final thoughts on, on the names that we came up with today? I, you know, I mean, I think it was, it was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for thinking of the idea. And, and I think that um, it, it really, again, it's another, in something as, as silly or simple as a name, um, you, you see, I think, a lot of the power of what Star Trek represents, um, because it's, it's, about, it's, about trying to, it's about trying to elevate ourselves. And you were talking about you know, how we name ships and why we name them, and, and we try to find inspiration, things to elevate ourselves, to get to loftier places, um, things that will give us the courage to want to achieve, to reach for something higher. Um, and, and when you're on a ship that's called the Enterprise, you know, when you're on a ship that, that, that has the, some of the names we came up with, um, I think it, it makes you, you go deep inside, deep within, and then that helps you reach out further. Um, and I think that's what Star Trek is all about. Star Trek is all about making us ask questions about what's inside so that we can then go out and, and become better, go further. Um, and it's really, to me, fascinating and exciting to see that part of Star Trek's mechanism manifest itself in, in all these different aspects of what it is, including uh, the, way, the way that the ships are named. And I think that, you know, it was fun to do it for that, uh, purpose because that's another way that you get to connect and, and and be part of Star Trek a little bit more and I think uh, our you know listeners and people on the Babel conference should try to do the same thing have fun with it go on the Babel conference and come up with names and whatever it is it doesn't matter if it's something that that's that's very you look at you know I thought of something which which was related to the, the work I do you know Lumiere and 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 the place that I come from and it turns out that you can find symbols that, that are very meaningful to Star Trek. So it's a, it's a cool, fun exercise, I think, that um, I would encourage all our listeners to, uh, to, to do. And, and I'm glad you said that because for me, it's, it's a lot of fun to read those. I, I, I love seeing where, I love seeing people be creative and come up with ideas. And I love the backgrounds of them. That's why I think, you know, the, the best thing in the world that ever happened for me was all those extras on DVDs because I always wanted to know how they did this and how they came up with that and how things work. And, um, but from just from a creative point of view, you know, we have a lot of creative people out there on the Babel conference and some of the best things I've, I've ever read have come from, from some of those threads just because people are so thoughtful and, and because we're so aligned on, I guess, that optimistic future. But let's not forget, even though some people, um, you know, they kind of, oh, the starships are just part of Star Trek. A lot of them are, are characters in Star Trek. And so many people are, are deep into the ships. So I would really, really appreciate it. If you could take the time to give us your ship name and why you came up with it. And if you want to come up with three, four, five, ten, whatever, I think it'll be fascinating and fun. So we, we'll, we'll drop that thread uh, right after the show launches on Monday or, or today, if you're listening. <laughs> Thank you. And um, so with that, um, I want to give a big shout out of thanks and appreciation to our associate producers. Without them, we wouldn't be able to bring you these high quality shows each and every week. And if you look at the network and what they've been doing, my goodness, there's the, the, the edge, uh, the whole discovery podcast. There's like three or four connotations of them and people are spending so much time. We've got after shows, we've got commentary shows, We've got the reflection shows. We have the postcards from the edge. It's, it's one thing after another. And none of it's cheap. All of it takes, takes a lot of time and money to, to put together, to edit. For the people that are working on it, I, I give you a round of applause because it's a lot of work. 
putting all that together in a short period of time, and we're doing it at lightning speed. And if it wasn't for our associate producers across all of our shows that fund the network, man, where would we be without you? And specifically for, for Standard Orbit, it means the world to me. I, I, you know, both, both Zach and I have always been humbled by just the, 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 the number of associate producers, but the character of all of you. So thank you, Renee Roberts, been here since the beginning. Norman C. Lau, the Commodore. Aaron Harvey, our, our art director, and I believe now a host too on the edge. I know he's been busy. Nicholas Anastasio, look at him. I mean, this guy, you've been on a lot of shows now lately yourself <laughs> and doing a great job. We got Tim Robertson, who I owe a big, big thanks and gratitude towards. And uh, I'm going to be posting why on the Babel conference pretty soon. Richard Marquez, who not only is our associate producer too, but also does a lot of the publishing and helps me get this thing ready to go for, for Monday morning launch. So without him, a lot of these things, uh, these shows wouldn't even be uh, captured to get done on time. So Richard, thanks for all your help. Corey Elrod, he's our, he's our newest associate producer. He's our, our, I always call him our Southern representative. He contributes a lot on the Babel conference, uh, a lot of great comments and, and he, he joined us not that long ago. So thank you, Corey. And I'm gonna hail again, Richard as uh, Marquez is our production manager. Brandon Shea Mutala, our Patreon manager, does, does a great job for us out there and uh, keeps Trek FM out there on Twitter. So, you know, if you guys can, if you, if you have the ability, and I know times are tough for a lot of people, so we get it. Um, but if you can contribute any denomination to Patreon, uh, it would be appreciated. So it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash Trek FM, and you'll see the donor page right there. There are different levels that you can sign up for. It's $25, to be, uh, $25 a month to be an associate producer on any of our shows. You choose the show. And then um, for $15, I believe you get on the, um, on, on the, on the roundtable, a, a Trek FM podcast, which is kind of fun. So if you've never been on the air or would like to give it a try, that, that's one way to get on the show. So Nick, where can we find you out on the network, sir? Um. I just want to add uh, a quick something, but, but before, sure. before, um, fire away. I, yeah. I just wanted to say, so, you know, I, uh, and I'm going to say that as a fan of the network, not as an associate producer of standard orbit. Um, it, it's also, it, it's to me, it's staggering to, you know, everyone on the network has a busy life. Everyone on the network has a full-time day job, families, kids, uh, careers, which they run. Um, and participate in and they find the time not just to produce organize distribute edit the content um, but to do it with a level of professionalism um, that some of the people who do the same for money don't do as well um, I do listen to other um, Star Trek podcasts some of which are quote unquote professional podcasts, um, which are produced by people who are remunerated, who are paid for doing it as their actual job. And, and they're not doing as good a job as you guys. So, so if, you, you know, if you want to join um, the network, you're really joining something that is worth it, something that you can be proud of being a part of. It's not just kind of people goofing off, it's a it's it's a big professionally run body of work that that's really really worth it. That's it. Stepping oh. off my soapbox. Uh, it was very nice of you to say. Thank you. Um, so you can find me uh, on Facebook uh, just under my name, Nick Anastasio or Nicholas Anastasio, and and uh, also on the Babel conference. I'm always there, um, chiming in here and there. Okay, and you can find me also on the Babel Conference. I'm definitely going to be involved in this week's uh, heavily. Uh, I think I'm traveling until like Tuesday or Wednesday, so that makes it fun. And uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am out there doing mostly just Star Trek stuff or responding to questions and things along those lines or retweeting other shows on the network. And I'm at Boston SCPO. That's Boston Senior Chief Petty Officer. And Nick, thanks again for, for joining us today. It was, as always, a great time. I, I love doing shows with you. And um, I want to thank everyone out there for listening. And I hope that you join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. To sail on a 
crystal clear ocean to ride on the crest of a wild raging storm to work in the service of life and the living in search of the answers to questions unknown to be part of the movement part of the growing part of beginning to understand Joyful and loving in letting it be. 